Thank you. Thank you, Betty Ray. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Dalian. You did a good job. <laughs> I hope you have your Bibles. The Scripture is going to be on the uh, overhead, and of course, this is the third message. And I've been reading Matthew 15, uh, verse 7 through 20. I want to do that again in just a minute. Uh, Mackenzie, are you or Melissa running the uh, the overhead? You are. Okay. Because, look, this morning I got a little bit messed up myself, okay? So y'all don't know how much uh, I appreciate the soundboard folks. And we're having more and more people that are volunteering, more and more young people to help run this. To be able to have access to the Scripture and put it on the on the overhead, I think, is one of the best things uh, that we can do because it's the Word of God. And sometimes as I read Scripture, I know you can't turn that fast and because uh, I have trouble finding some of these books myself and also uh, different translations that I'm using that I think make the point a little bit clearer. But I, I appreciate the soundboard. appreciate you guys being here. Um, I told the folks at 830, these, these have been some hard messages because it's, it's required that I look in my own heart. And... And folks, if the Word of God does not cut into your heart, then you're not listening to it. I mean, that's just the absolute truth. You remember what the Scripture says, and we're going to get to that part where it says, the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts down to the deepermost part of our, of our souls. So I pray that we're going to let the Word speak. You remember uh, the last two Sundays as we've talked about this topic, we've had these little forms with a heart that's empty except for a chair, which represents a throne. And I've been asking you guys to just take inventory of your own heart and write down what do you see in your heart. Is Jesus sitting on that throne? Is he in control? Is he in charge? Is he the Lord of our hearts? So would you and I allow the Spirit of God to speak to us in these morning, this morning? Let's pray and then we'll get started, okay? Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful that you allow us to come into your presence. And Father, it seems like we're losing that understanding of what worship is about. It's not about us, and it's not about this building or even the number of people that gather here. It is about meeting the living God in worship. And so I pray, Father, that we would do just that. We pray that we would allow the Spirit of God to take the Word of God about the Son of God and speak deep within our souls and show us, Father, what's in our heart and what we need to do to let Jesus be the Lord of our heart. And, Father, I pray again that if there's someone here that has not yet trusted Christ as their Savior, that they have not yet invited Jesus into their heart, that, Lord, they'd be challenged by the words of the Scripture today, Lord, to examine their need of a Savior. And may they find that Savior to be Jesus, your Son. Lord, again, please, please take all the honor and glory for whatever happens in the moments ahead. And please direct them, Father. May the word of God be shared in power and in love. For we ask in Christ's name. Amen. We've been reading this passage of Scripture. Jesus has been confronted by scribes and Pharisees who have come from Jerusalem, I think, not only to interview him, but to interrogate him. They're trying to find more things to to have against him and to belittle him. When they get to where Jesus is at, they see that the disciples are washing their hands the wrong way. 
Now, again, you and I can't fully understand this, but back in that day, the rabbis over the years had devised means of washing hands and utensils. And they had begun to feel like whatever the rabbis taught was equivalent to what the Word of God said. And this is where they made a big, big mistake. And so when they saw that the disciples of Jesus did not follow what the rabbis had taught, they accused Jesus of misleading them and, and not being as godly as he should be. And I'm summing all this up. Well, we break into the conversation in verse 7. Jesus said to them, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, and verse 8 is a quote of, and 9 is a quote of Isaiah 29:13. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, in vain. Now listen to the word vain. The word vain means empty or fruitless or without results. So in essence, we could say without results do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. And Jesus is saying what these teachers had been teaching them was the works of man and not the word of God. And they had been telling people, as long as you obey what we teach you, you don't have to worry about obeying the Word of God. And folks, that is a lie. Back to the text. Verse 10, Jesus called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then the disciples came and said to Jesus, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides, and if a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And the parable is in verse 11. Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and so passes on? And he's explaining the digestive system, folks. But here's the teaching, verse 18 and 19. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And please notice in these two verses, Jesus is saying the origin of what comes out of our mouth begins where? In the heart. These acts of sin that Jesus is going to mention in verse 19, their origin is where? The heart. So let me read those two verses with that in mind. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. In the last couple of weeks, we found that there are at least two great principles that Jesus is teaching in this passage of Scripture. Number one, you and I as followers of Christ must be aware of worship and service that comes from the lips only and not from the heart. And secondly, when you and I major on the inner person, the outer person will be what God wants it to be. And true Christ-likeness comes from within where Christ is reigning in our hearts and on our hearts. So folks... Here's the question. Where does real, true godliness and Christ-likeness begin? It begins in our hearts. Now, a lot of people hear 
evangelical Christians say you need to invite Jesus into your heart. And they say, well, how stupid. The heart is, is just a muscle that pumps our blood. And folks, that is true. But look, I looked it up in the Webster's Dictionary, and there's a number of definitions of heart. Number one, as you and I know, it is the hollow muscular organ in our body that circulates the blood by alternate dilation and contraction. Our heart is a muscle that's, that's receiving blood, pumping it out, and it's constantly in motion. But the heart also can mean any place centrally located, the core, the main part. How often we talk about the heart of the city or the heart of whatever vegetable we're eating, like the heart of the lettuce, where the lettuce is better. Folks, used figuratively, though, and as a symbol, the human heart represents the center of our emotions. Our ability to love, to hate, to have compassion, our personality. Think about how often we use the word heart. We talk about a person who is generous has a big heart. A person who is kind is having a, 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 a warm heart. A person who loves to serve others has a servant heart. <laughs> and there's a song, is, is it cold-hearted man or cold-hearted woman? Never mind. But anyway, you get the point that, that we can have cold hearts. That is, we can be uncaring and unkind and uncompassionate. The word heart also can represent our character. What is the driving force in our life? You know, I love to hear the sportscasters describe an athlete who is giving 110% by saying they've got a lot of heart, or he or she puts all of their heart into what they're doing. And folks, most often in the Old Testament and the New Testament, this is how the word heart is used. And here in Matthew 15, Jesus is using heart to speak of the inward mind and the inward person. And folks, here's something we need to constantly remind ourselves of. God, our Heavenly Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ are our creators. So if He created us, He knows what is deep down within our inner being, correct? Let me give you an example of this. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, Saul has sinned against God. He is a king over Israel, and God has said, enough. You've you've sinned against me. I'm going to choose another king. And so he tells Samuel, I want you to go down and go to the house of Jesse, and I want you to anoint one of his sons as king. Now, wouldn't all of us think if a man has got uh, a number of sons that God would choose the oldest, which a lot of times represents the, the wisest, or perhaps God would would uh, would anoint have Samuel anoint the one who is the most muscular and soldier like because they needed a king who could lead the army. And as Samuel got down there, Jesse began to call his sons in, beginning with the oldest. And every time God said to Samuel, "That's not the one I choose." Listen to this: First Samuel sixteen seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his statue. And you remember King Saul was a, was a head higher than everybody else. King Saul was, a, was the largest man. Just think about this for just a second. If you wanted a king to lead especially your army, you wanted someone who was intimidating, someone was threatening to the army or to the other armies, the enemy's army. 
But God says to Samuel, don't look on his appearance or on the height of his statue because I have rejected him. And listen to this. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. But read that last phrase with me. But the Lord looks on the heart. And you remember who was anointed king? It was the youngest son. He was not even present. And when all of the other sons of Jesse had come through and God told Samuel, this is not the one, and Samuel says, do you have any other sons? And he says, yes, my youngest son is out tending the sheep. Go get him. And this is the man. Folks, listen, you and I need to remember that God looked on our hearts. And God cannot and will not be fooled by our outward religion and piety. And again, I'm preaching this not in a condemning way, but in a way of revealing to you and I our need, our need to turn our hearts completely and totally over to the Lord. Folks, listen, I never realized until beginning the preparation of these sermons how often in the Word of God the word heart is used. It is so full of information in the Bible about the word heart. And we need to take a couple more Sundays and search the Scripture to answer at least three questions that I want to pose today. And here's the three questions. What's in my heart? What's in your heart? Take inventory. And again, I pray that if you didn't get one of these little forms with that heart, that you'll do this. And folks, I want to tell you, it's gut-wrenching to sit down and say, Lord, how do you see me? Here's how I hope you see me. And here's the front that I so often put on. But how about the real Herbert Brown? What do you see? So number one, what's in my heart? Number two, what controls my heart? And number three, what proceeds or radiates from my heart. You remember Jesus said in Matthew 6:21, we don't have this verse on the overhead, but Jesus said in Matthew 6:21, for where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. And folks, whatever's in our heart shows us what we value most in life. So let's look at question number 1 today. What is in my heart? What is in your heart? And folks, I want you to know that this speaks not only to we who are Christians, but also to a person who has yet to receive Christ as Savior. What's in our heart? Is it sin, self, or Christ? Let me read some verses to you that will be both discouraging and encouraging. First of all, let me read to you from Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10. Look at this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately corrupt. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the mind and try the heart to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. And listen to Romans chapter 6. And I'm going to be reading this out of the, out of the Living Bible. And again, Paul is speaking in a spiritual way. And, and I want to point something out. These first two verses, verse 12 and 13, Paul's going to say some things to not do. Do not. And it just tears me up when I hear somebody say that they think Christianity is just a bunch of rules and regulations. I want to tell you something. It is not. Christianity is a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. But as a result of being born into his kingdom, as a Christian, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, there's some things that the Lord does not want me and you to do because it will harm our relationship with him, not our salvation. It will harm our fellowship with him. 
And here's some things that we should not do. And listen to what Paul says. Do not let sin control your puny body. And you might be wondering, what kind of Bible is that? Folks, this is the living Bible, but I think there's a very important spiritual figurative point. When he says puny body here, he is not talking about our physique. He is not talking about our body mass and our ability to pump iron. He is talking about how you and I, when we are tempted to sin, unless we have the Spirit of God enabling us and helping us, it is so easy to fall prey to Satan. And that's why Paul spends time in Ephesians 6 talking about putting on the full armor of God that when Satan attacks us, we can stand in not our power because we are weak, but in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So he says, do not let sin control your puny body anymore. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any of your body bodies become tools of wickedness to be used for sinning. But listen to this. But, but, give yourselves how much? 10%? 25%? 50%? 75%? But give yourselves completely, totally, 100% to God. Every part of you. For you are back from death, and you want to be tools in the hands of God to be used for His good purpose. Have you ever thought about yourself, you and me, the church, in this way? that we're to be tools in the hands of God to be used for His good purposes. And now listen to Romans, that same chapter, but skip down to verses 16 through 18. Don't you realize that you can choose your own master? Again, think about our free will as individuals. God created us that way. We can choose to live for the Lord. We can choose to say, Lord, I don't have anything to do with you. And I'm just, I I, I got my ticket for heaven. I trusted you as my Savior. And now I'm just going to set off on my own path. Paul says, don't you realize you can choose your own master? You can choose sin with death or else obedience with acquittal. The one to whom you offer yourself, he will take you and be your master and you will be his slave. Thank God that though you once chose to be slaves of sin, listen to this next phrase, now you have obeyed with how much of your heart? With all your heart the teachings to which God has committed you. And now you are free from your old master sin and you have become slaves to your new master righteousness. Folks, think about these things. When Adam and Eve chose to follow Satan's temptations to be like God, their decision dramatically affected the human heart. Folks, before Adam and Eve sinned, they had been created perfectly, correct? That meant they had a perfect heart. That meant that they wanted with that heart to please God. But when Satan tempted them and they rebelled against God, their heart became filled with evil. And folks, you and I make our own decisions to sin, but something was set in motion called our sin nature as humans. And it doesn't take very long in the book of Genesis to see how this sin nature began to affect society. The first children that Adam and Eve had, Cain and Abel, did they live together in love and harmony? You know this story. We've taught it from childhood. Cain, because of jealousy, slew his brother Abel. And it seems like at that point 
that humanity began to, one group began to follow God, one began to rebel against God. If you fast forward a couple more chapters in Genesis chapter 6, the story of Noah and the ark in the flood. Let me read some verses to you. And I'm sorry I didn't get this put on the overhead, but I want to read these verses to you. It's, it's Genesis 6 beginning with verse 5 through verse, verse 8. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination, listen to this, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The inner person, the central part of the humanity's being had become one that was rebellious and sinful against God. Every imagination of the thought was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on, his, on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Now again, listen. Does God have a physical heart like you and I don't think so? But this is spoken spiritually and figuratively. And think about this for just a second. Any of us, as parents, who have had a child who has become rebellious, it's broken our hearts, has it? Why? Simply because we want to be the big dog and be the boss? No, that's not altogether the truth. But because we know that when they start off on the wrong path, that it's going to lead them to a place that they'll regret one day that they went to. God's heart was broken. It was grieved because mankind that he had created in a perfect way had chosen to sin. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the ground, man and beast and creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah, but Noah found favor, the King James Version says, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Folks, what I'm trying to point out here, that throughout history, mankind has often rebelled against God and not allowed God to reign in his heart. The prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and all the others talk about how the people's hearts are far from God and filled with sin. And in Matthew 15, the words that we read earlier, in other places, Jesus confirms the diagnosis of the heart that Jeremiah and Isaiah give. What makes a person unclean and a sinner before God is not our failure to do religious rules and regulations or ceremonial law like washing of hands, but what is in our heart, the contents of our heart. And listen again as I read Matthew fifteen, eighteen through 19. Listen to this. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, and slander. Again, the origin of sin and rebellion against God and against our fellow man comes from within us. We make the decision. And folks, Jesus taught about the seriousness of sin in the heart. And I want to give you two examples, okay? And one is murder and one is, is adultery. And folks, both of these, according to Jesus, come from within the heart. Let me give you an example of this, okay? Anger, anger, the sin of anger is tantamount to murder. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22. Listen to this. You have heard that it was said to the men of old, you shall not kill. And that's the commandment, Exodus 20:13. 13. 
And whoever kills shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother shall be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool shall be liable to the hell of fire. And listen to the sin of adultery. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 27 and 28, again the Sermon on the Mount, a couple of verses farther down. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her where? In his heart. And so what Jesus is saying, and let's elaborate on this for just a second. And first of all, I want you to remember these are not my words. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, our creator and savior, and the one ultimately that we'll stand before. And, 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 and again, folks, y'all can accept this message in a number of ways. You can accept this message as I'm standing up here trying to condemn everybody and run everybody down. Folks, I'm talking about Herbert Brown here, okay? I'm not, I'm not just got anybody in mind. But folks, I want to tell you, and I want to remind myself as well as you, all of us will stand before the Lord. That's what the Word of God teaches. Second Corinthians 5.10, and this is a judgment upon the Christians right here. Listen to this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive good or evil according to what he has done in the body. And remember again from 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord looks where? Not on the outside. He's not fooled. He looks on the heart. And secondly, Romans 14, 10. So each one of us shall give an account of himself to God. So, folks, if one day we're going to have to stand before God, we need to listen to what the Lord Jesus is saying here about the sin which leads to murder and the sin which leads to adultery. And I'm just giving these two as illustrations, okay? The Pharisees taught that murder consisted of taking someone's life, the very act. But Jesus is saying that this commandment not to kill extended not only to the act itself, but also to the internal attitude behind the act. Murder is wrong, but the anger prompting the act is also as wrong as if we were plunging a knife or pulling the trigger, whatever the method we would use to kill someone. In, in adultery... Once again, the Pharisees were teaching that adultery was concerned only with the outward act. They said the only way one could commit adultery was through a a wrongful sexual union. And Jesus is saying they missed the point of the commandment. Adultery begins from within our heart. And remember again what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in, with her in his heart. Folks, here's the point that I believe the Scriptures is making. Our outward sins begin from the inside. It is a process. First of all, through anger. And, and I'm, I'm sure nobody has, has killed anybody here I'm I'm simply trying to point out that the origin is from within. Folks, the anger that drives to murder, the lust that drives to adultery, they're both wrong, but the origin is within our heart. And we have those things to happen because our hearts are not rightly related to God and it's not under the Lordship of Christ. 
And that's why it's so important, this concept of saying, Jesus is my Lord. If He is our Lord, we are obeying Him, not ourselves. So often, as a young minister, it used to frustrate me. People used to tell me, you ought to tell so-and-so what they ought to do and what they ought not to do. And I want to tell you, my response was, I need to tell them to let Jesus Christ be the Lord, and then they'll not try and satisfy the preacher who did not die on the cross for them, but they'll satisfy the Lord. And that's true. I, I shouldn't be living a certain way to satisfy the church membership so I shouldn't get fired, but so that the Lord Jesus Christ would find me faithful. And let me give you an example, folks, of how sin begins within. And again, I'm not picking on adultery, but in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2 and 3, and you remember the story well of David and Bathsheba. But listen to these verses. It says, It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking upon the roof of the king's house. Now, I don't know this for sure. I don't know what kind of house David lived in, but as king, surely his house was probably bigger and taller than anybody else's. So as he walked, he could look down over the city. And I'm sure that he knew that probably at a certain time of day, women would be bathing. Well, folks, that kind of gave him an opportunity if he wanted to look at women bathing. That was there. And that happened. And the woman that he saw bathing was very beautiful. Folks, think about this for just a second. Again, you and I, if we're going to get involved in these things, we've got to have the want to, first of all. But we can't hide this from God. And Jesus here, I think, is talking about the seriousness of sin in our heart. And again, I want you to just meditate upon these things. Perhaps those seemingly small things in our heart can lead to greater and more sins. Anger can lead to murder or harming someone physically and emotionally. I'm sure, if not all of you, most of you have seen the video of the NFL player knocking his wife out in the elevator. And, and folks, I'm, I'm not here to judge that man. But, folks, that speaks to all of us, not just that NFL player. It's not just an abusive husband or boyfriend. It could be any one of us that allow anger to get out of control. And Satan is constantly trying to get you and I out of control. And I'm going to say some things that you might think, well, this is out of place and he's gone to meddling now. And I'm not standing before you as someone who is without sin because I am with sin. I am a sinner. But folks, it is so easy, according to the definition of Scripture, the words of Jesus, it is so easy for you and I to commit adultery now. Men and women... As we look at TV programming and pornography, whether it would be magazines or the Internet or even commercials, would we, be, would we be encouraging others to lust after us by the way that we dress or the way that we communicate or the way that we conduct ourselves that would lead to sex outside of marriage and unfaithfulness to our marriage? Folks, where does all this begin? It begins in our heart if Jesus Christ is not reigning. Remember again in Romans 6, Paul says, Without the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ, our spiritual bodies are so puny without Him. And folks, I don't want you to leave here discouraged this morning because I've got some really encouraging word for you. 
How can we deal with the world that we're living in and still faithfully serve Christ? Well, listen to Proverbs 4.23. Listen to this verse. Listen. Above all else, guard what? Your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Listen to what the writer of Proverbs is trying to say. Following God and knowing His ways involves you and I to make a resolute decision to remain committed to God and seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And you remember that's what Jesus said in Matthew 6:33. But seek first His kingdom, His righteousness, and all these things will be yours as well. Folks, we can't just walk out of this building as Christians and say, man, I'm going to be on fire for the Lord today. I'm going to do everything right. I'm not going to commit any sin. I'm not going to lust after anybody. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to break any of the commandments. I am just going to be perfect. If you don't do that in the power and strength of the Lord, you're going to fall on your face before you get out of this parking lot. I'm serious. Listen to two verses that we've heard often, but perhaps not in this This mindset. Listen to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Listen to this. Trust in the Lord with all what? Your heart. And do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. You know what that means? God making straight our paths. Folks, first of all, it means that if we're not careful, we will deviate from the path that God wants us to be on. We'll refuse to allow His Word and His plan to fill our hearts. And folks, I want to tell you, that, and I'm getting close to finishing, but I want you to listen very closely to this last part, not because of what I've got to say, but because of what the Word of God has to say, okay? Even as Christians or as a non-Christian, when we deviate from the path and ways of God and refuse to hear His Word and live by His plan for us, you know what begins to slowly happen in our hearts? It begins to harden. Now, you've heard of hardening of the arteries where plaque builds up in our heart veins. That's not what I'm talking about. Folks, this hardening of the heart are hearts that are committed not to obedience of God, but disobedience to God and doing evil. And folks, when you and I disobey God, and when we treat His Word in a casual way and do not believe it and trust it, when you and I persistently seek to refuse to listen to the Word of God, when you and I refuse to obey the command of God, when you and I follow the wicked desires of our hearts, eventually the hardening of our hearts toward God will happen. And when our hearts become hardened toward God, we lose sensitivity to God's Word and the leadership of His Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example. I'm going to give you at least four examples, okay? King David. Again, I'm not picking on David again, but let me tell you what his adultery with Bathsheba led to. It didn't stop there. You know the story. David lied and he denied. He had Bathsheba's husband Uriah killed to cover up his sin. He lost his witness before the people of Israel. And folks, I want to tell you, he lost his family. Do you know the whole story? One of David's own sons, and you remember he had several wives and a number of children and who became half-sisters and half-brothers. One of his sons raped his half-sister. And that half-sister's brother 
Absalom killed his half-brother who had raped his sister. The family was torn asunder to the point that Absalom later is killed. Folks, when our hearts become hardened towards sin, there's going to be collateral damage. And most often it will affect our families and those that love us the most. When hearts are hardened, they'll become like Pharaoh's heart was. You remember in the days of the Exodus? God did all those miracles before Pharaoh threw the man Moses, but he would not believe in God. We're living in a world that just doesn't believe that God is real and that he's doing anything. Let me tell you something. The gift of this day is an act of God. Amen? I mean, even being able to get up. And I know I'm starting to sound like an old man because I am an old man, but every day becomes a precious gift. Let me tell you something else in Romans chapter 1, verse 24, 26, and 28. And I want to read these verses. And I said this at the 830 service. I want you to hear my heart. I'm reading you the Word of God as written by the Apostle Paul. Paul was writing about his day. Listen to this. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 36. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a base mind, to an improper conduct. Did you notice a phrase in each one of the verses? God gave them up. Does that mean that God has forever forsaken them? Does that mean that there's no chance that they can ever get saved? That's, I don't think that's what Paul meant. But I think this is what it means. That in that day, in Paul's world, people had become so anti-God and so ungodly that God said, well, if that's the route you choose, then have at it. I've given you the right to choose and freedom to choose. And folks, does that not describe our world today? As much as I'm, I'm not here to condemn, but to point out, folks, the hardened heart says we don't need God until some disaster strikes. We don't need God until our life is threatened. And God gave them up. If that's the path you want. And you know, sometimes it hurts me to think that perhaps our nation is getting to this point where God's going to say, I've blessed you for over 200 years, but if this is the route you want to take, I'll give you up. And there's a final example I want to mention. Paul saw that before the coming again of Christ, there would be a great rebellion, a great falling away from God. And we don't have this. I gave Fran the wrong verse, so this is not on the overhead, but I want to read this verse to you. It's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. And I'm going to read this out of the Living Bible. As Paul opens chapter 2, he tells the church that there are some that are saying that the coming of Christ has already happened or that it's not going to happen. In other words, they were saying, Jesus said he's coming back. That's a crock of bull. It ain't going to happen. In 2 Thessalonians 2.3, listen to what Paul says. Do not be carried away and deceived regardless of what they say. For that day will not come until two things happen. First, there will be a time of great rebellion against God. 
In essence, Paul is saying that before Jesus Christ returns, people's hearts will be hardened toward God. And there will be a great rebellion, a great falling away from God. And then listen to the last part of this verse. And then the man of rebellion will come, the son of hell. That's the Living Bible Translation or paraphrase. That man of rebellion would be who? The Antichrist. I don't know when all this is going to take place. But does it not concern us that even among Christianity and even among evangelical Christians, as it seems, we are beginning to harden our heart toward the things of God. So, and I'm finishing, what should we, what can we do when we look deep into our hearts? Well, number one, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, here's what I want to encourage you to do. The writer of Hebrews says, and this is chapter 3, verse 7, 8, 9, and 10 that I'm going to read to you. And again, this is not on the overhead. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the days of the rebellion. He's speaking back during the Exodus years, 40 years that the people wandered in the wilderness. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. When the Holy Spirit speaks, do not harden your heart, but surrender your heart to Jesus. And there's an amazing thing that will happen. He will save you. I don't care how old-fashioned that sounds. He will save you. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, as you and I look into our hearts, at first we're going to be very discouraged. David, the man I've spoke about today, there came a day when he looked into his heart. Listen to these verses. This will be on the overhead. Psalms 51, 6. Listen to this. Behold thou the desires truth in the inward being. Therefore teach me wisdom in my secret heart. That place where no other can see except God. And then a couple of verses later, listen to what David says. You might want to write these verses down. Psalm 51, verse 10 through 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Put a new and right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And listen to verse 12. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Thank God he never turns his back on his children. And when we name the name of Jesus Christ, God's not going to give up on us. He didn't give up on David. And He won't give up on us. But the ball is in our court. We can determine what's going to be in our heart. You remember one of the diagrams we showed? If Jesus is not on the throne of our heart, guess who is? You and me. And guess what? We're sinners. But He is a God of love. Praise His name. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for these moments that we can spend in Your Word.
Lord, we focus on your word because we remember what the prophet said, that the word of God does not return void, empty, or without bearing fruit. And so I pray, Father, today that your word would bear fruit in our hearts. I pray that if there's someone here that needs to trust Christ as their Savior and invite him into their heart and let him reign on the throne of their heart instead of sin in themselves, I pray that as the Holy Spirit leads them, they'll not harden their heart, but they'll come to you. And I pray for all of us as Christians, Father, what a struggle it is to live day by day for Christ. In a world and a culture that seems so bent upon destroying anything that honors God and honors Christ. Lord, thank you that you've called us to be shining lights in the salt of the world, salt of the earth. But Father, help us to know that cannot become a reality unless we let you be Lord. So I pray that we will. Lord, if we've gone astray, draw us back to yourself. Thank you that you do not cast us off, but that we must be willing to repent of sin as Christians and turn back to you. And Lord, we pray that you'll restore the joy that it is to be your child and to serve you. Be with us and guide and direct us in these moments of invitation. For we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Last couple of Sundays, we've been trying to have hymns of decision that that focus on the heart and breathe on me. I'd never thought about this as about a hymn about our heart, but listen to the first stanza. Holy Spirit, breathe on me until my heart is clean. Let sunshine fill its inmost part with not a cloud between. Breathe on me, breathe on me. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. Take thou my heart, cleanse every part. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. If you need that today, would you allow God to do that? The altar's open if you just want to come down and pray. You don't have to speak to me or anyone else. If you need to profess faith in Christ today. If you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Would you do that? As God leads, let's stand number 332.